Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. It is good to be with you today. I want to begin today's broadcast with Romans 8:28. Everybody knows it, and we know that all things, we know, we don't guess, we don't hope for, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that love God, and we love God. You and I love God. We love God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone say amen. So because we love God and we ask, well, how did we even come to know to love God? We've never seen God, you know, that type of thing. But we love him. That's what First Peter chapter 1 is all about. You love him whom you have not seen. We love him because he's been a reality to us. We love him because when we talk to him, he answered us. We love him because when we were a mess, he turned our lives into a message. He took our lemons and made lemonade, right? He did it all. He comforted us when we were hurting. He helped us when we couldn't help ourselves. We love God because God is good and God has been good to us. So regardless of anything going on in your life today, whatever's happening around the world today, remember, all things work together for good for those who love God and to them who are the called according to purpose. You see, our life in Christ is not a vanity. Our religion on earth, that's a vanity. Earthly religion to make people feel good about whatever, about their brains. No, we have eternal purpose in our journey with God. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The only God I want to know is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have eternal destiny, eternal hope, eternal purpose, so that our lives will never be futile. They will never be empty. They will never be vain. In fact, our life on this earth, the brief span of life that we have, which the Bible calls a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow, this is a small moment in the view of eternity. And whatever we're doing here right now is just a brief comma, at best, a vapor. And yet because of the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts and our faith in Jesus Christ, the reconciler, to bring us back to the Father, we have eternal life. We don't want to forfeit that for anything, right? And so we say amen to that. So I just want you to know, in this life, everything that you're going through, everything you ever will go through, all things work together for your good because you love God. And God will not disappoint you. God will not abandon you. God will not forsake you. Regardless, if your spouse leaves you, you lose your job, you get a sickness in your body, I'm telling you, all of it will work together for good because you love God and are called. You see, God called you with a purpose, and it is an eternal purpose. No futility, no vanity, and we praise the Lord for that. Now, we have a great program. We've only got like 55 minutes And I've invited, once again, our dear friends, late, of course, because that's how busy things are getting. And that's you go on a two-week trip, and you come back, and it's like you got to put all the pieces together again. But without further ado, I want to welcome our dear friend, our brother and sister, Brian and Kathy, from the great state of Tennessee, and say, good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You are on the air. How are both of you doing? Very good, thank you. Supernatural. <laughs> Supernatural. I love it, guys. How are you? We haven't heard from you for a long time. What's been going on? Well, uh, I mean, I could say same old, same old, but it's just constant. There's constant action going on here in the spirit, and it's just it's amazing. Like you're t- you're talking about uh, Romans eight twenty eight that all things work together for good for those who love God are called according to His purpose and that and this morning I just uh, I just woke up and and God was just impressing upon me you know just the prayer of Philippians for um, the peace that passes all understanding and um, you know it's, again it's like this job that I'm working here working at a children's home with these with these crazy crazy delinquent boys are it's sort of like uh, I view it as like a prophetic lens to look at, at the world and the times that we're living in. And, and it's just been absolutely, I mean, just off the Richter nuts, but in the midst of it, I mean, for instance, yesterday I had a, a kid who was trying to fight me and he threw a fan at me and everything was unraveling and kids were getting triggered and I had to separate and pull them out of the room so they wouldn't lose it and threat them threatening to fight. And then, then in the other room, we got another kid who's been an absolute complete knucklehead ready to almost ready to get kicked out. And the Lord has been like working on him and he's, he had a headache and one of a, one of my coworkers came along and prayed for his headache and the kid is like jumping up and down because he got prayed for and his headache was gone. And so it's just like, you know, in the midst of all the chaos, we have to choose on what we're going to, what we're going to focus on. And the fact of the matter is God is sovereign. His word will go forth and it will accomplish the things for which he, he intended it. And that's just how it is. And, um, and, and in the midst of it, 
no matter how much tribulation there is, we can, we can experience that peace because he gave us that peace. And uh, I'm just like, I was just laughing this morning. It's just like the, the absolute chaos that some people are freaking out about. My boss is, you know, she's trying to get us a raise because we go through so much hell every day. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just cracking up because God is, God is doing his thing. He's rattling cages. And, and I think we're going to see something really, really big happening. And, and just like in these days that we're coming into, we're going to experience this, this crazy birth pain, which I totally bear witness to. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but, um, but, but God is shaking the house, and you're going to see people falling away, but you're going, to see, you're going to see people you never thought getting saved coming to the Lord at the same time. Mm, beautiful. Hey, man, that's an incredible opening. You keep using the word chaos, and on my screen, I have an article from Prophecy News Watch, and it is Summer of Chaos, the Homeland Warns of Mass Casualty Violence. Will this be a summer of widespread politically motivated violence in the United States? The Supreme Court decision that finally overturns Roe v. Wade is expected to be released this month, and authorities are fearing the worst. In fact, the Department of Homeland Security just issued an advisory warning specifically of, quote, mass casualty violence once the Supreme Court decision is officially released. And you will see that violent acts related to this controversy are already happening. So, yeah, they're calling it the summer of violence, the summer of chaos. Uh, it's ready to snap. I mean, you could feel it. There, there are signs in the in the moon and the in, in all the heavenly areas here. So, without getting into all of that, Brian, Kathy, uh, number one, I want to thank you for joining me on the air today. You guys are laboring over there in Tennessee. You heard my cry yesterday. The invitation for you both to come out. I hope it's possible in October, from the 9th to the 16th, to uh, uh, be speakers and guest speakers with uh, our family and all that will be joining us for the Feast of Tabernacles. Hopefully everything will still be intact by then. So, you know, that's our invitation. That's our hope. We love you guys. Appreciate you. And uh, what is it that the Lord in the next 45 minutes or so has put in your hearts that you'd like to share with the body today? Well, first of all, about the uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, Lord willing, we're going to be there. You know, Kathy's just biting at the bit to come out there and visit you guys. And you know, I'm, I'm I'm in a new job here, kind of in a well, I've already gotten a raise, but it's like, but technically, I'm in a probationary thing where I'm not supposed to take off for six months. But that'll but, be six months. Yeah, but, but it'll be six months. But anyways, but it's been he's just been impressing upon me. I've been telling her, I think we're going. We're supposed to go during the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, I've been saying that for the last couple of weeks, and and uh, and then yesterday you invited us to the Feast of Tabernacles. So I'm just. I'm just taking that as confirmation. Unless he changes his mind, we're, we're going to plan on being there. Excellent. Very, very good. So we'll put you down. Amen. And then we'll just trust the Lord. We get it. But, yeah, I so, mean, it's just uh, what, what he's been impressing upon me, again, is peace amidst the chaos. You know, And, and as you were talking about the word chaos, I, I was remembering that in, in, you know, in Genesis 1 where it said the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord hovered above the waters. And the word waters during creation, and, and the, the word waters actually means chaos. <laughs> and water is, is, in the Old Testament, there is one of, the, one of the things it symbolizes is chaos. You know, so it's like, and it's out of chaos that, that, that you know, that the birth came. And we know we're in birth pains right now at the very least, you know, maybe going straight into the, the, the three and a half tribulation at any time, judging by what's been happening in Israel. And, um, 
yeah, he's he is he is birthing something, you know, and it looks messy. <laughs> well, it certainly does, and you know that chaos, that confusion. We see all these major streams coming together, and there's an intelligence behind it. It's very satanic intelligence. Uh, what are some of the events maybe you've been looking into over in the Middle East? Are you still looking into the Russia-Ukraine thing? Uh, what are you picking up? What can you share with us? Well, I've I mainly been focused on, on what's happening in Israel in terms of the news. And, you know, I, I just see the same. I just see the, the stage being set for, for the fulfillment of Isaiah 17:1, the destruction of, of um, Damascus. And uh, just the other day, the, um, the Israelis uh, bombed the Damascus airport and basically took out its control tower, and it's, it's completely inoperable right now. They've been consistently attacking um, Iranian shipments, weapons shipments, and whatnot. Iran has got a, uh, I guess just this morning, they revealed the fact that they're ready to launch something from into outer space, allegedly. But they've got, they've got enough fissile material to make a nuclear weapon to confirm that, the the uh, IEAA has just has been monitoring it and everything. It just said there's there's absolutely nothing that that anybody can do to stop it now. It's it's basically a done deal. Um, you got things unraveling in Lebanon, and then but interestingly that the, the uh, I, I just read this morning that um, you know th- there's the whole uh, natural gas crisis in Europe that's that's come out of the Ukraine and the, the sanctions against Russia and he, um, Israel and Egypt just signed a deal to provide um, gas to Europe for, until 2050. So that's um, that's kind of pulling the rug out from from under Putin in, in terms of the economic side of his warfare. And uh, gosh, you know, it's just things are just kind of little by little. Sometimes they unravel a whole lot, and then and then it just slows down, and you just see these little fringes here and there. But I, I really think that everything, the whole entire Middle East, is it's seems to me it's everything is starting to be realigned in preparation for the fulfillment of the Ezekiel 38 war. Hey, uh, speaking of that Ezekiel 38 war, I hear a lot about it. I, you know, I've, I've never really dove deep into it. Uh, Patricia joy. Um, she loves that. I mean, she's every time something's going on, she's right, right there. Uh, about 25 years ago, she did a study on Ezekiel 38 and brought it. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, I, on the other hand, don't know much about it. Maybe someone like me is out there listening. What is the Ezekiel 38 war, and how does it play into uh, what's happening right now? But it's it's a, a war where um, where Israel is will will ultimately uh, will will prevail. But it's going to get it's going to be probably the worst attack that they've ever ever experienced. And and uh, it basically. Um, you know, they, a lot of the Israelis sort of like look at American Christianity and they hear about how everything's going to be wonderful, especially like um, the postmodernists and the preterists who believe that the world is just going to become better and better and better. But, uh, you know, they, they kind of believe they're, they have they're, the, the IDF has kind of a, 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 po- a defensive posture with the expectation that they're going to be completely overrun. And uh, it's it's. Um, I guess there's some people that look at it as as the beginning of the tribulation. I tend to view it as it's going to be something that's going to make way for uh, the Antichrist to come in, and the Antichrist will be revealed after that. And it, there'll be he'll call peace, peace. There'll be no peace. I would I, I anticipate that at the end of the Ezekiel 38 war, there'll be um, um, 
you'll see, you know, the Antichrist come on the scene. That's where you'll actually maybe see the, we, we will see the uh, uh, reinstitution of the daily sacrifice on the Temple Mount. And you see rumblings about people talking about that right now. Saudi Arabia has actually been saying, why don't we give uh, the Temple Mount back to the Jews? Because Mecca is actually our holy place and the Temple Mount really isn't. It really belongs to the Jews. Why don't we just wow. let them have that? And so there's conflict over that. And But however it plays out, there's going to be a major conflict that, that – that causes uh, the world to want a, a leader to come in and save the day, a false, uh, you know, an antichrist, a replacement Christ, and, and someone who's going to be like a Messiah, who's going to bring peace to a horrific situation. He's going to reinstitute the daily sacrifice on the Temple Mount, and then at some indeterminate point after that, it'll be removed. And, um, and, uh, yeah. um, and, and then, then the abomination of desolation will be set up, and the three and a half year tribulation starts off after that. So, so can we can we go to Ezekiel chapter thirty eight? Can we kind of walk through it with uh, you know to some of the time we have, and just kind of pull out some nuggets? I, one of the things I keep hearing out of Ezekiel chapter thirty eight is, um, and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you forth in all your army. Horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Who exactly is he speaking of when it says, I'm going to put hooks in your jaws and bring you? A lot of people say that's Russia. What are your thoughts on that? Let's walk through it. Let's see, we're here in Ezekiel 38. Yeah, and I was just reading out of verses, uh, I think, 4 and, um, and, and 5, I think I was. Or just uh, verse 4, actually. Who is he referring to here in that? And uh, um, my interpretation is that based on the maps that I've looked at in the history is that Gog is Russia. He's talking about hooks into your jaws and, and the people that are aligned with Russia. And so that that is I had a map here of saved of, of actually all the countries that are they're that actually going to become aligned against Israel. Okay. So they're aligned with Russia. In other words, in this, in this realignment of nations that's happening uh, around the world has been underway for a long time, especially in the Middle East and other places. So uh, we have Russia is Gog, is what you're saying interpretation. The land of Magog, um, I guess, uh, let's see, set, son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog. Uh, the land of Magog. So uh, these two players are very significant to understanding Ezekiel 38 then. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, Rosh, which looks like China, um, Gog, Magog, that's, um, is uh, Russia, I think, Persia, which is Iran, and you've got Turkey, um, Libya, Ethiopia, and they're all going to come against, um, they're all going to come against Israel. And I, I guess I've always wondered because, you know, in my interpretation, listening to, you know, Vladimir Putin and, of course, you've got the Russian Orthodox Church, Eastern Orthodox Church right there in Jerusalem. They have a presence there. I always kind of wondered how, you know, in many ways, Russia seems it's much more Christian than the United States. And I always wondered, well, how could Russia be one that actually turns against Israel? But as I'm looking at the, the things in the news right now, it, it's, um, you know, 
Israel, the, 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 the relationship between Israel and Russia, one, because of Syria and Iran, uh, Russia is aligned, uh, allied with them, is, is deteriorating rapidly on that front. And now you've got the economic front where, where the, uh, um, Israel is going to take their market for gas, you know, and that could really put the hurt on Putin. So um, there's just so many realignments taking place, and I'm, for the very first time I'm seeing how how Russia could actually come against Israel ultimately in, in this war. Of course, China is obvious, yeah. it's obvious that Iran, Iran de- declares every other day that they want to wipe Israel off the map, and they use they have their proxies through Hezbollah and Hamas and whatnot that they that they try to do that through. But um, yeah, it's just there's a real major realignment, and then you've got the you know the kings of the south. Right now, you've got Saudi Arabia, which is an enemy, a staunch enemy of Iran. And they're becoming best buddies with <laughs> with Israel, so um, just very interesting times. But we only really know, understand prophecy completely in retrospect when we see it fulfilled. So right now we're still looking through Ezra's glass darkly. So I'm not by any means making any kind of declarations as to what happens. This is just what I'm seeing. And <clears throat> yeah, oh, very good. Yeah, and I'm putting you on the spot, putting you know, going right to the Ezekiel 38 war. It's such a big conversation. I've heard so many different takes on it, uh, and there are a few out there. And I, my question was always, you know, when I read Ezekiel chapter 38, and Patricia and I go through this all the time, I never see where anybody fires a shot. I see gathering nations, um, but it's kind of interesting how that works, and then it shows up again uh, at the end of Revelation chapter 20. You know, you see this same Gog, uh, Magog thing coming on after the millennium. It, it kind of shows it. So I was wondering if this, this Ezekiel 38 war is actually leading to a Middle East crisis, which would bring about Islamic prophecy that the man of peace that would come would be their Mahdi, um, that would, you know, unite the Sunni and the Shia and in the Middle East in that way. It's very hard to tell, though. And then, of course, in Revelation, I think 9 and 10, you have this, um, this sixth trumpet war that breaks out that takes like a quarter of the earth or a third of the earth, the population with a 200 million man army. So, um, you know, putting this all together, it's significant. But, boy, for those who can do it, praise God, give us enlightenment, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're just uh, we're just getting flicks and images and indications of. I, for me, I, I think I just look at certain things like the, the Middle East is the proverbial canary in the coal mine, where it's like it's more a sense of time than it is of specific events. And I'm saying, well, this is it and that's it. You know, the, the biggest thing will be to see uh, when we see the, 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 the reinstatement of the daily sacrifice on the Temple Mount as, that Daniel talked about. It. That, to me, that's, that's the big one right there. And as soon as you see that, it's like, Get ready because it's coming. And then when, when he removes it and the abomination of desolation, whatever that actually ends up being, what we're going to know what it is for sure when, when, when we see it, whenever that thing takes place, then it's like you can set your watch for, for three and a half years, you know. And then, uh, you know, of course, it says, Jesus said after that, no one knows the day or the hour except for the fact that um, that's Rosh Hashanah, and no one knows the day of the hour is what Rosh Hashanah means, and it actually refers specifically to to the Feast of Tabernacles. So, um, you know, wow. on one hand, we can't, we don't know the actual time, but on the other hand, 
She did. He told us. He did. He told us when he's coming. So, <clears throat> yeah. So another sign of the times, then definitely that Jesus mentioned was wars and rumors of wars. That's happening all around us right now. No doubt about that. And then, of course, the, you're talking about the temple being built. That's that was our Bible study last night. That question came up about the temple because that seems to be the trigger point. People were asking. Well, if the Jews are, are supposed to flee into the mountains, what does that mean to us today? You know, we're living in the United States. Will there ever be a sign to us or people in South America or Europe when believers there are going to see a particular sign where they're supposed to flee into whatever particular refuge God has prepared for them? And uh, that came up. Well, yes, when we see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, let him who reads understand what he's what he's reading. So. Uh, this has to do with the temple being built. So you're saying that every single eye, every single mind that is on Christ first, that one of the major signs to getting to the place that God has called you to be, whatever that is, would be the rebuilding of the temple. And that, Brother Brian, I thought they can do that in just a couple of weeks, that they have everything they need to construct the temple uh, through the Temple Mount Institution. Yeah, Um yeah, I've heard that uh, when we were in Israel in 2000, I think it was 18, um, they actually had, they had a, a portable altar ready to roll up. And what I, what I found interesting, one, one point of contention is, or debate, I should say, is um, whether or not there actually has to be a temple built, rebuilt for the daily sacrifice to be re-implemented. And I'm not sure that the temple does get rebuilt i think i think they just need to roll the altar up and there's a there's the when you if you go up onto the temple mount and if you're standing facing the the mosque there um and, you, and to the left there's a threshing floor there where some people some archaeologists say that that um that that's actually where the the jewish temple was built right because obviously mm -hmm. the the no stone because like what jesus said that no no stone would be left unturned and that the whole entire temple would be destroyed, and it was in 70 A.D. That that part of his prophecy in 20, Matthew 24 was fulfilled, and so yeah, and, and so I don't know that uh, it, I, it's going to take a few weeks maybe for a temple to get built if they worked really hard. I, I bet you they could do it, but I don't know if that's really necessary. And I kind of get the sense that <laughs> when things roll out and they re-implement the daily sacrifice. The Bible does not give us a specific amount of time, so it, it might be very quickly that it gets re-implemented and then it's taken away. And then, and yeah, then so that when that—that's the timer right there. That's where you can like literally set your stopwatch for three and a half years. Well, there you go. And you know that's amazing because I was always under the impression when I was in Israel, I went to the Wailing Wall and I talked to all the little rabbis that were down there. And um, not the little rabbis, but I talked to the people that were down there at the Wailing Wall, and I asked them, what's your greatest hope? You know, everybody's here at the Wailing Wall. What, do you, what is your greatest hope? And obviously their, their answer was, we want our temple back. We want our temple back. And then the idea, the, the conversation came out, well, if the building of the temple, and, you know, why is it taking so long? Why don't you just put one up? That somehow it had to do that it would spark violence and war with the Islamic world about them. Is that something that you're aware of? Um, yeah, I, I, I believe the Jews really, they desperately, they want their temple back, and that is, that is the Jewish plan, but I don't, I don't necessarily see that as well. I think there is, a, a, you know, there is the, 
final temple that is mentioned that he talked about in, at the end of Ezekiel and in Zechariah. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I, there will be a temple, we know, in Jerusalem during the millennial reign. And I tend to think that maybe it's going to be built. Uh, it's not something that I'm really I'm dogmatic about. If I right. ask me to make it, I would say that I think that the temple is going to be rebuilt during the millennial reign. But I could be totally wrong about that. <clears throat> yeah, but the, the reality is, is that everything Jesus said in Matthew 24 is kind of unfolding in our generation, from pestilence to earthquakes to natural disasters to wars to rumors of wars to great deception everywhere. And then when he passes that, he talks about a coming persecution uh, against believers. And then he moves into this time frame when you see the abomination of desolation. And so we believe that abomination of desolation to be found in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, that that being that goes into the temple and declares himself to be God is none other than Lucifer, the man of sin, the Antichrist, uh, that is a culmination of everything that's ever been before. So, you know, we're all looking for this particular sign, and it's a very critical sign. And it could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. What would be restraining that from happening? Talking about the restrainer again, right? Right, right. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I think it's Holy Spirit that's that's restraining it. Um, it it's um, or, yeah. I mean, I, I tend to think it's it's Holy Spirit that's that's restraining it. I don't believe, you know, like what a lot of the the uh, the pre-tribulationists believe that it's the church that's restraining it because I think that the the body of Christ right now is is the most watered down, powerless, limp-wristed, literally, um, it, absolutely, we're not restraining anything right now. There's a remnant on the earth, but but the body of Christ is not doing it. So it's it's um, I think it's I I, I think it's God's hand that, that is that is restraining it, and when He takes His hand off it and and, and which would mean we are facing his judgment as as we have you know as we so deserve as, as a country as a as a western civilization then 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 it would be on but uh again i'm not i'm not dogmatic about that because i know a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about that okay so a question that just came in is according to your understanding of scripture what temple does antichrist sit in uh, we've heard a lot of different answers to this. What are your thoughts about the Second Thessalonians chapter two temple that Antichrist shall come and stand in or sit in? What temple is that? Well, it could be. It could, in fact, be the, the, a rebuilt temple because I'm not like I'm, I'm not saying that's not going to happen. I tend to think that that it's it's more about the daily sacrifice than it is about the temple being rebuilt. But um, it could be the um, it could be the uh, the Islamic temple there that that the Jews um, take control of again because there are people that believe that they've been down inside the in, I know one guy who's you know he's been on a video and he uh, he actually went into the um, what he thought he thinks is the holy of holies down below in the basement of the uh, of the Islamic temple there so it says you know, it says awesome. though it. Temple of God. The temple of God, yeah. So the and temple. As he, yeah, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God. And so some Verse people four. have referred. Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead. Go go into that, uh, Kathy, please. So you're in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse yeah. 4? Okay. Yeah. Who opposes and exalts himself above, above all that is called God or that is worshipped 
so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Sits in the temple of God. Okay, so the temple of God. Now, the Bible says that uh, in Corinthians, we are his temple. Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you think there's a symbolic meaning here about the Antichrist spirit sitting in the temple of God, the body of Christ? Or is that just kind of too uh, symbolic for this, for this question? Well, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm just backing up to verse 3, you know, which is really important in context. Um, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And then that's who, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if it could, if it's physical or, um, or just referring to, you know, him, just uh, presenting himself as God, as the temple of God, and that he is God in the in his own body. I'm I'm not sure mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking here in the in the Strong's and, and the uh, the Greek word is uh, is naos and it refers to it could be the temple in Jerusalem it could be any heathen temple or shrine or also a metaphor for the spiritual temple consisting of the saints of all ages joined together by and in Christ. So, yeah, but we know this is going to happen. I I have I take a more literal view on this. I actually believe there's going to be a temple built in Jerusalem. Uh, whatever that looks like. And uh, as, as I said earlier, the Temple Institute, uh, they have everything ready to go. I think the whole thing could be constructed. They have the red heifer. They have the breastplate of the priest. They've got everything ready to go. But I think it's a strategic moment, obviously, being directed by the economy of God when this will happen, because it may spark a massive, you know, uh, Middle Eastern war. Um, and, and so... Uh, but we do believe that we should be watching it and more closely now because every other sign that Yeshua talked about is already transpiring. The only thing we in America haven't seen as much as as of yet is the persecution, the coming crisis of being demonized and hated of all nations. Um, but that's at the doorstep, isn't it? Oh, it, it, it absolutely is at the doorstep, you know, and, and you're talking um, – you were talking about yesterday or, or no, the day before, I think it was about the, you know, the communist revolution that's, that's been in effect here in, um, you know, in Western society in the United States in particular for, for a, a, a very long time. And, um, you know, a lot of what we see today with, um, with, um, uh, with Marxism in the streets, basically, whether it's black lives matter and you, you made the, the connection between the LGBTQ plus movement and Marxism. And it really is, it's all been a very, very carefully orchestrated um, strategic plan that's been in effect since, um, since the, basically since around the early 1920s. And, um, you know, a a lot of people here have heard about critical race theory in the schools and things like that and parents going into school boards and, and even that, um, that they were being designated as as potential homeland terrorists because of their 
stand against critical race theory in the schools. But critical race theory is just one, one arm of, of the whole entire uh, Marxist agenda to basically take control of the entire world. And they've had a very, very long view of it. But um, it, it literally goes all the way back to a man named Antonio Gramsci, who was imprisoned by Benito Mussolini during World War II because he, because he was a, because for being a socialist. And um, but he has a he, he quoted he's sort of like the father um, or the the most uh, modern inspiration for the, the the what we see in terms of Marxism moving in on the world today. And, and he said that that socialism, quote unquote, socialism is precisely the religion that must kill Christianity. And mm-hmm. so it's been a tool planned wow. right from the very, very beginning. And so he was the inspiration for for um, the Frankfurt School. And the Frankfurt School came, followed uh, the, the basically failed uh, Russian Revolution in, in, at the early 20th century that, you know, they thought it was based on the Marxist conflict theory of, of proletariat versus, uh, you know, working class versus the capital class. And, uh, and um, he thought that there would be, the ruling class would rise up, there would be a violent revolution, and out of that violent revolution, they would, they would produce a utopia on earth. And the, the violent revolution didn't work, so these guys went in, in Frankfurt, Germany, developed the Frankfurt School, and they kind of like wanted to rework the whole Marxist theory, and they decided that the conflict theory was still accurate. However, violent revolution wasn't the way to go. What they needed was, was more on, on a social scale, class against class, uh, rich against poor, men against women. And, and, uh, and, and so they came up with critical theory. And critical theory was basically you would criticize and attack every, the weaknesses in everything, in every, whether it's our government, our church, families, and, and find the weaknesses, point them out, and emphasize them, and never, never discuss a solution. And finally, it was in the 1970s when they, they realized that the, the radical feminist movement would be the best catalyst to get things going to destroy the family, which, of course, in the Communist Manifesto, that was one of the things that had to go, according to Karl Marx, the, the traditional core uh, um, family. Yeah. And, uh, and that was their plan. And those of us who were alive during that time can remember when, when families just began falling apart. I remember being a kid one year, nobody was getting divorced and it was basically a, a word that, you know, it happened, but nobody talked about it. And if you did get divorced, you were basically ostracized within your social circles. And then, and then one day I came back from, to, from summer vacation and all my friends, parents were getting divorced. And, you know, what, two years later, my family fell apart. And so, um, you know, it's, it's been an ongoing thing. Then of course, People who are really interested can go into, uh, they can Google Cleon Skousen, uh, 45 points. And Cleon Skousen was, uh, was an undercover FBI agent during the 1960s who infiltrated the uh, American Communist Party. And he gave testimony before Congress in 1963 where he uh, illustrated 45 points. And, and two of those most important points in my eyes were, besides destroying the family, was they wanted to uh, eliminate revealed religion and replace it with social religion. And, of course, today we see we've got the social justice gospel. We've got the woke movement. We've got, you know, Jesus framed as a revolutionary, not as God God come down in the flesh. Um, and uh, re- they wanted to eliminate the authority of the Bible, and, uh, and they used critical theory to do that. And that's why you see um, uh, just so much of a falling away, particularly among young people today. <clears throat> And the second point, yeah, there was a second one. 
of the of those planks? Oh, they Karl Marx's planks or the ones that Cleon? All the forty-five, all the 45 yeah. points. Yeah, there's actually forty-five points in there. Yeah. So the the revealed religion destroy revealed religion or replace it with social religion and destroy the authority of the Bible. Ah, uh-huh. boy, that that works really good, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's been it's been very effective because um, I think. There's um, the American Cultural Research Institute. I, I think it's out of the University of Arizona. It's basically a, a version of, the, of, of sort of like the Pew Research Institute giving statistics about um, Christianity in the United States. And I think it was like uh, only like 6% of, of professing Christians had a biblical worldview. And then um, I forgot the exact percentage, but there's another really low percentage of, of people that profess to be Christians that believe that Jesus was the only way, the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father through, except by him, um, John fourteen six. And so we are actually, as much as people try to talk about revival and revival this and revival that, I believe we are in the midst of the, the greatest falling away mm-hmm. the, and the greatest, like, Amos 8 famine of, of the word today than we have ever seen in our history since, since, since the United States was founded. <clears throat> so this is one of the questions I had for both of you, um, you know, in our remaining time. we got about 20 minutes here. Um, the spiritual atmosphere um, in this country and around the world, I'm sure, has changed. There's no doubt. All you have to do is, you know, just be kind of real and go about where you used to go and go back there now. Uh, We just took our trip to New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, California, uh, Oklahoma, we came back uh, through, and the environment has shifted. The spiritual realm seems to have been uh, substantially thicker in the demonic and there's an angst and an anxiety. There's something of an oppression. Uh, explain for just a moment the spiritual warfare that the Ecclesia of God is engaging and uh, more spirit. You talked about what's going on at your workplace with these kids. Uh, how do you kind of equate what we're seeing right now with more spiritual warfare and how is the church prepared to fight it? What kind of spiritual warfare are you witnessing uh, coming against the church today? I think um, I've been hearing and reading about the infiltration of witches coming into the churches and uh, putting curses on, um, you know, the word or the individuals or the pastor, the truth. And um, since a lot of the churches are waking up and like, oh, okay, yeah, the the charismatic dreams and just like, oh, we want these signs and wonders without being really rooted in the word has opened up a lot of, um, you know, the spiritual uh, uh, things that go on, whether it's from God, Holy Spirit, or from the demonic. And so these people are, I believe that there are witches that are on a real personal level on individual small churches that um, they're infiltrating. I've read articles about it, and it's, and we've talked about it with some people here that have been in Bethel, Bethel Church, and um, yeah, and they look and how like do they do uh, yeah. How do they do that? Yeah. What's the infiltration? Well, look they're like? in. This... Pardon. What does the infiltration look like? 
it looks just like some some normal uh, young woman or a woman <laughs> that um, ha- is carrying a Bible and participates in Bible studies and um, meanwhile could be uh, thinking that they're speaking in tongues, you know, how people might quietly speak in tongues, but they, they will actually be speaking, you know, <laughs> the wrong tongue, um, a demonic tongue, and uh, performing curses. I haven't seen it with my own eyes, but uh, it's been in discussion lately with some people here, and I've watched some YouTube videos, and so that's just one way that um, things are, you know, are happening in churches, and the pastors don't even know about it. It's going to require a lot of discernment. I mean, my God, the gift yeah. of the Holy Spirit, how important is that right now? Exactly. Oh, it's very, yeah. And yeah, it's like people don't want to discuss a lot of like, well, where do you believe? And, you know, it's just so surface. A lot of conversations um, are just very surface. Yeah, I'm a Christian. You show up and, you know, you want to pray for someone on the street or watch, you know, let's go out and, and uh, treasure hunt and, and see who we can find. And, and uh, but like, what do you really believe? Those conversations don't, are rarely happening, you know, so. I like to ask questions with people that I am in close contact with to see where they stand, you know, not to pick Amen. a fight or to get into, um, you know, theological debates, but just very foundational, very, very foundational beliefs. So the extreme need of the moment for all true believers is to be thoroughly equipped um, with every spiritual resource, every true word of God. Uh, they used to say that at a bank, you know, the best way to know uh, a fake $100 bill was to know a true one. And so by yeah. knowing the truth, it's going to preserve us from that which is not true and uh, really getting close to the heart of Jesus, walking in relationship with the Holy Spirit, being empowered by God, listening, studying. Uh, these are This is a time of equipping, and boy, do we need the equipping of God. We need the armor of God. We need everything. And I believe the Lord has provided all things for whosoever will. And uh, the body of Christ is going to have to put it on. It's going to get very, very intense in the very few short days is what we're seeing and believing. Yeah. And I, I think, I think one of the keys too is, is, um, is humility in that, you know, Paul talks about, um, in in Corinthians four, you know, he's addressing people that are just sort of like um, I don't know, they're just like the the great teachers that they're following, and and people that are full of wisdom and full of knowledge and awesome and powerful in the world, and and then he um you know he, he likens himself to the excrement of all things, right? And and um and then also in in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, he's he's talking about um a man, you know, who uh, he's speaking of, of a man in the third person. He's actually speaking about himself who's caught up to the second or third heaven. He does not know, doesn't know whether he's in the body or out of the body. And, but, but he's, he's referring to himself in the third person because he's addressing the, this idea of elitism or celebrityism. They don't, he, that, that people at the time were like looking at people who had these experiences and, and gave testimonies of these supernatural experiences and putting them on a pedestal and treating them like celebrities and as elites. And I think we have a lot of that today where if you've got someone that just, you know, claims to have an out-of-body experience and they can go from town to town to town, a house to house to house and, and, and teach all these things. And it may or may not be true, but what's, what's um, leading 
people to them is this fanatical pursuit of signs and wonders where it's almost become idolatrous because we know mm. God does amazing things and we've seen people get healed and we see the real deal. I mean, I, I, I prayed for kids at our cottage and things and they get healed and we just, another kid just got healed the other night. And, and so we see these things happening, but there's this unhealthy, unbalanced craving for one aspect of, of, of an experience with God where it's almost like they're drug addicts chasing the next high rather be instead of becoming firmly rooted in, you know in the knowledge of Christ and and I think that um I think that somehow that that's that's where the that's where the the witchcraft is is actually mm-hmm. coming in you sure. know yeah and we have to con- not just consider like the discernment and what we're seeing outside of us but we have to be aware of the gateways and doorways that could be open within us and I think that's that's so important why you know like in second peter uh he, he, he talks about, um, he said, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to virtue knowledge temperance. And, and then finally he gets to love. You know, and we live in this, in, in this Christian culture where, where it's, it used to be, you know, with the birth of the seeker-friendly churches where it was come just as you are, which is good, come just as you are. But now I think the, the, the implication is not just come just as you are, but you can stay just as you are. And God loves you, and you're wonderful, and you're awesome, and he's so pleased with you. And you, you see these these people giving prophetic words to people who aren't even saved, and it's just like, well, if you're not saved, if you're not in Christ Jesus, then you are a, you are a, a, a child of wrath. You are an enemy of God, it says in Ephesians 2. You're deserving of his wrath. And so I think one of the things that we're not doing is we're trying to be so pr- pr- portray God to be so loving, so gentle, so good, which is true, without, without saying, behold, the goodness and the severity of God. Because the warnings that he gave to the Jews in, in, in Romans 11, right, behold, the goodness and the severity of God, it's like, um, it, because it's like the same exact thing is going to happen to you if you don't take him seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said, well said. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, the yeah. enemy likes to exalt himself, and, and you said something I believe is critical. And if every one of us would really understand this and, and, and focus, the difference between walking in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, the true gifts are amazing, as you said. But there's something, and, and you would think they're connected, and maybe they are to a degree, but I think the real pursuit of the true believer. The ultimate, most genuine, heartfelt pursuit of our lives is the presence of God. I've tasted his presence. Brian, you've tasted his presence. Kathy, you have tasted his presence. The majority of people that are listening right now, at some point in their walk with God, have tasted that the Lord is good. We have tasted his presence. And the pursuit of his presence is a very intimate a very personal experience. And then when you bring that into the corporate, that presence of God, I mean, it, to describe it with mere words is almost impossible, quite frankly. But now associate that with the gift of the Spirit where it's moving and operating sovereignly in a body of, of believers where every, every joint is supplying. Uh, that is the miraculous. That is the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's where everything has to go in the economy of God, I believe that with all my heart. So, all right, let's begin to, you know, kind of put this all together now. The presence of God, the gifts of God, 
you know, the stuff that's going on, they're calling for, again, a summer of chaos, a summer of violence. Um, I wanted to ask you this question earlier. I wanted to get your thoughts on this because we never talked about it, never, never heard from you. Um, Buffalo, New York, 10 people shot and killed. Uvalde, Texas, 21 people shot and killed. A church, people were shot and killed. A hospital in Tulsa, a, people were shot and killed. We actually met a, uh, a uh, waitress at the Waffle House in Tulsa. And while we were there, I just prompted to ask her a question. You know, what do you know about this? And she started bawling uh, as she was standing at the table because her friend was giving birth at the very moment that was happening. Her friend died uh, in that. And it was a very closely related thing. And I'm realizing that just beneath the skin of every human being out there, I mean, the, the pain, the pressure, uh, the panic, all these things are right there at the door. And it's not going to take much. And I think the enemy is going to exploit this. Um, but the church really needs to be a staff to a lot of people right now, Brian and Kathy. But I wanted to get your thoughts on what you were hearing, what you were seeing about all these shootings that just came out of nowhere. Um, it's, it, it's just what we expect the world to do. And it's going to, get, it's going to get worse. And we know that in Matthew 24 that unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. So... They're not, going to, they're not going to, you know, solve the problem of, of murder and mass murder by, by, um, by taking all the guns away because they'll take all the guns away from the people who could protect themselves with it, and it'll just increase like it does in Chicago and, and all the gun-free states. I think, I think it's just another sign of what's coming. The, the enemy prowls the earth looking for who he may devour. You know, he wants to steal, kill, kill and destroy, and that's it. And as we, um, as we move into uh, the days of the actual tribulation, which is the wrath of the dragon, not the wrath of God, as some people can get confused, but it is the final wrath of the dragon. It's, it's, going to look, it's going to look really horrendous. But in the midst of that, God is sovereign, and God is going to be uh, accomplishing his will, and we're going to have the opportunity to see both. Both. And if you focus on the fear and the terror and the horrendous pressure that's coming upon the earth, then you need to, um, then, then you're going to be full of fear and you're going to be food and a tool for the devil. But if we focus, if we focus on, on what, um, what, what, what God is doing, then we are, we're, we're going to look at, at the closing of Philippians in Philippians four. And he, and he said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will, not may, might, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so that's, that's not just, a, that's not just a, a, you know, a nice affirmation, but that is literally, that is a weapon of our warfare right now in these times. That's what we need to be focused on, and we need to put it into practice. And, and what I mean by putting it in practice is it's an actual discipline. We have to discipline ourselves to think this way in the midst of, like, 
the most horrible things, whatever it looks like. And the peace of power, and we know this from being on the mission field, the peace of, that passes all understanding will guard your hearts, right? It doesn't matter what it looks like, but if you obey his word, if you're obedient to, to what his word says and do what it says, don't just be hearers, but be doers, then that peace will be yours. And it, 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 you could be in the middle of a nuclear blast or you could be getting a million dollars and it's like, it's all going to be the same. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. So well said. Uh, Kathy, any final words before we get running today? Well, I just, um, my verse that um, God's been giving me in the last few weeks is in Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four. And this is my heart cry through all this uh, chaos is bl- Starting in verse 3, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So that's my cry is like, I just lean to God for his comforting and, and his wisdom and all the chaos that's going on and that I may be equipped and have that peace that surpasses all understanding so I can help my neighbor during these crises, you know. That's a beautiful. We better be better. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful passage. Um, that I think that touches the heart deep. But I'm going to get in a lot of trouble if I don't take this call. And we've only got a little limited time, and I just saw that somebody was calling in, and this is a very precious call. So I need to take it right now and say good morning to area code 
So we're looking forward to that. We love you both. And uh, we'll look forward to that day when we do meet face-to-face. And um, God bless you. And in the interim, we'll look forward to hearing from you uh, next Wednesday. And hopefully we'll have a little bit more time to spend. And until then, you guys stay the course. Be safe. Be blessed. And um, just that work you're doing. Man, I know that's got to be shaping both of you very well. God bless you. Yeah, God bless you guys. God bless. We love you guys. We love you guys. Bye. All right. Very good. All right. That's it for us today. We're going to have to say goodbye. We'll see you tomorrow. Lord willing, Pastor Jeff Bass will be joining me on the air tomorrow morning. Uh, There's a lot to talk about. Get ready for a lot of download. And then hopefully on Friday, Brother Don Huddle will be joining me on the air once again. Until we meet again tomorrow, have a super blessed day. We will be broadcasting tonight on YouTube and on Facebook at the New Wine Ministry Bible Study that we'll be having at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And remember, if you would like to support this ministry and you would like to give a, uh, a gift and you want to become partners with us, we certainly do appreciate that. We're looking forward to that. And we're asking that you would consider giving to either nwmglobal.org, uh, which is on the screen right now. That's nwmglobal.org. There's a donation tab there. You could always mail in a gift or offering to P.O. Box 100. Decatur, Arkansas. That also is on the screen. The address, P.O. Box 100, Decatur, Arkansas, AR 72722. And then finally, you could go to our Omega Radio uh, website, omegaradio.org. And again, we're going to thank you and thank you for trusting the ministry. And as long as we continue to do God's work, we pray that your support Uh, will be met with his blessing. Amen. All right. With that, any further words, have a great day. We love you. We'll see you tomorrow right here in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.